Good morning, Grace Church. My name is Tim Holland, and my wife, Laura, and I have been attending Grace since uh, the start of social distancing. Um, last couple of weeks, John has shared um, about the story of love and both the good news and the bad news. And today we're going to be building on that by talking about our place within this larger story. So in Christopher Guest's mockumentary film, For Your Consideration, he plays the director of a film with a cast who doesn't quite understand the script they're working with. In the process of giving them notes on their performance, he had them throw out the script and do these exercises. They walked in circles. They played other people's parts. The problem is that the screenwriters were sitting in and hated the director's approach to their story. They were not a fan of the notes he was giving. One of the writers started arguing with, with him, and they go back and forth, back and forth, and then uh, and it's like escalating. And then Jennifer Coolidge, um, who's playing the film's aloof executive producer, um, side note, the day before she talked about how she had fallen off the side of an escalator that helps paint the picture. Um, so they're yelling back and forth. It's escalating. And then she just awkwardly interrupts the, the entire exchange and yells, but what about me? So this awkward and explosive interruption doesn't fit within the conversation they're having at all. In fact, none of it really does. Um, you've got the, the actors who don't understand the script, writers who are upset that the actors aren't playing the parts as they intended, because the director has a different take on the story. And still, the most dominant voice is the one interrupting to make it about herself. How many times have you tried playing somebody else's part because you didn't fit in? How often have you questioned someone's motives because they seem to be going off book, or at least your understanding of it? How often do we blur the lines between discipleship and control? between living like Jesus as he was and living like Jesus as we want him to be. Because when we read scripture with a mentality of, but what about me? We'll see ourselves in every passage and our takeaway will not be the one that calls us to step beyond our own limitations, but to diminish Jesus to the size of our limited understanding. So are we looking at scripture from too narrow an angle? I think that's actually hardwired to be our default. Um, when I was in YWAM, Youth with a Mission, I did a discipleship experience where I spent three months in France being mentored and poured into by visiting speakers and um, just really seeking God's direction for my life. I was the only American and the only native English speaker in my group. So culturally, it was challenging. Relationally, it was also challenging because uh, in the beginning, my French was limited to what I had learned in high school. Uh, Madame Henderson was great, but I was pretty ill-equipped. Um there were plenty of under misunderstandings and awkward interactions. And when people saw I didn't understand what they had said, they would say it again, but a lot louder voice. I was the person who got yelled at because like, I just needed people to use different words that I might've understood, not repeat themselves in the same way, but louder. Um, I did also learn a ton of curse words and inappropriate innuendo just by accident, by mispronouncing actual words and phrases. Um, only to be met by a look of horror on the faces of the recipients. Um, but aside from misunderstandings and these misses, there were legitimate differences that wore down the cogs. My understanding of French culture was through the lens of my own experience as an American. I grew up in a small town outside of Seattle where the lines in the middle of the road were supposed to be yellow, where eating with your hands on your lap was polite, and where asking personal questions about money were completely acceptable. Um, much later in life, but Two years ago, I also discovered that things are very different in the South. We don't we don't talk about that that stuff. Um, everything I saw, touched, tasted, smelled, heard, everything I sensed and perceived 
ran first through the filter of my own culture. It was deemed either good or bad, acceptable or not acceptable, right or wrong. I was uncomfortable and often felt misplaced and misunderstood. But because I was assessing everything I took in, a process I wasn't even aware of, I was just trying to understand what was going on. My perception was limited. My conviction for what was right to them was narrow-mindedness. Borné, if you were wondering. I had to look that one up in a uh, discussion over dinner one night when somebody said I was Borné. Yeah, I looked up in my French-English dictionary to find out I was being called narrow-minded. It was fun. Um, But it was also true. Because what I didn't realize was happening at the time was that I was deep in the throes of culture shock. And while my brain was working hard behind the scenes to stop translating everything into a language that was more familiar, I had to make a conscious effort to do the same with my surroundings and interactions with others. What began as a way to make sense of the world was actually limiting the world and hindering my growth. But what about me? (laughs) What about these things? What about how things are supposed to be where I am from? Place has so much to do with our identity. When I visit home and see Mount Rainier, my heart is recentered and I can literally feel like I'm, I'm breathing more deeply. And whether during my two years in Arkansas or 10 years in DC, whenever I visit a Starbucks or hate on Amazon or, or look at an in-flight safety card only because I want to know if I'm on a Boeing jet, I'm stepping into a part of me that helps me make sense of the world because it is familiar and I can fully wrap my mind around it. So when I get frustrated that I can't, I can't plan events on Saturdays or judgy because restaurants still use styrofoam cups or feel superior because I refuse to raise children who call me sir, I'm being narrow-minded. I'm only able to understand Arkansas in relation to what I already know. Our default to how we approach scripture isn't really isn't really that different either. John, uh, in talking with John, he related this approach to scripture um, in the same way that we might look through our yearbooks from high school. We go immediately to the index, find our name, and then check our faces on all the pages that are listed. When we're approaching it from a "what about me" perspective, we're missing a part of our role. The Bible is for us but it is not about us. Also, we're not the hero of the story. Jesus is. We're like townsperson number six. God made us image bearers, but we are not the image itself. Laura always says that Jesus was a real person in a real time, in a real place, and with a real culture. Understanding who he is in relationship, in relation to who I am, is based on a false assumption. I'm unable to recognize God's image in others and in the world because I fail to recognize that they are distinct from my own image. So much of my faith is based on cultural norms that have nothing to do with scripture. Sanctification may be a work of the Holy Spirit, but decoupling my faith from my culture must be a conscious process. But here's the problem. Too often we get this backwards. We work on sanctification force-fitting scripture beneath a template of our own culture, time, and place through deceptive disciplines designed to to conform rather than reform. And the decoupling process that would recognize the limitations of our culture and release the immensity and power of scripture is moved to the background, assumed, limited, it's not challenged or recognized. So keen is our desire to control our actions 
and the actions of others that when someone calls into question a cultural norm that may be limiting our understanding of scripture, they are pushed to the outside, deemed dangerous. But everyone is an image bearer. We are the beloved. Understanding our place in God's story can be as deceptively simple as that. So if we're working hard to avoid blurting out, but what about me? When is it appropriate to ask just that? We're not the center of the story, but we're still part of the story, right? I think the thing that makes it so funny when Jennifer Coolidge's character blurts out the line in the film is is what answers this question. It's about timing and context. When she asked and interrupted everything they were talking about, and jarringly so, it had nothing to do with the topic at hand. One of the dumbest things I've ever done was invite people over for a movie night. Nothing's wrong with gathering friends together for a random movie night. It's fun. But when you invite one of your best friends, ex-girlfriends to also attend the day after they broke up, because you were friends with both of them before they started dating, and you think it might be helpful to normalize the friendships again, um, you're making it about yourself. I wish it was hypothetical, but in doing what I did, I interrupted my buddy Nate's opportunity to grieve, to rebuild, and to move on. And just like we need the empathy and wherewithal to keep us from steamrolling friendships, we need the same basic awareness when we approach scripture. I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. And even though the story isn't about us, God's big story is not about us. There's still so much for us in it. Working to understand the cultural context and the intent of the writers of scripture is responsible. It's not a slippery slope. It's not a progressive or heretical. God's word has been weaponized and used to control people. Picking apart scripture to understand what it means and how it might be applied is not a chipping away at its authority. In the evangelical tradition so many of us grew up in, the Bible was treated like the fourth person of the Trinity. But that's just not the case. In Exodus 14, 14, we read, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Daily devotionals are modeled after far less than deep, insightful, and very personal encouragements like these. We just need to abide, to rest from the busyness of it all, and know that he is God. False. God didn't say this. Moses did. Moses made a promise to the people of Israel that God has him walk back in the very next verse when he says, Moses. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. In their book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart write that a biblical text cannot mean what it never meant. This passage in Exodus was transactional. God was telling Moses what he needed to do and telling him uh, that he needed the Israelites to move on. This is scripture meant to be read in large chunks. This is a story of what happened. Context tells the story, the story of God's love for a forgotten people who had nowhere to go, that God was going to protect them and be with them in the midst of chaos. They were starving, poor, homeless, and on their own. But again, they were not alone. That is the God we serve. It's a story of love. It's a love story of a promise to restore a broken relationship. It is not a teaching on finding calm in the midst of chaos only. Because lack of context and awareness diminishes God's role in the story of Scripture. Context reminds us that the Bible is not a single book. It's a collection of texts 
written to a wide audience that spans space and time and language and culture. Some of it can be about us. We can read ourselves into the pain and joy of the Psalms, encourage our faith in Hebrews, and learn who Jesus is by observing who he was and trying to emulate that. If you feel like you don't matter, or if you grew up in a tradition that spurned outside thought and purged inward identity, there's still a place for you in the story. You matter. And the fact of the matter is that God's story is ongoing. The book of Acts is still being written today, and God wants to bring us into this story to play townsperson number six, maybe number five if we're lucky. God has pre-wired you with needs and wants. They matter to God because you matter to God, and you are far more capable to play your part than you may realize. And we all, together, we have a collective obligation to do just that. Laura and I have a friend in D.C. who um, several years ago woke up one morning with a word from the Lord that she was supposed to go to the burger shack that evening for dinner. Um, in her telling, Heidi, Heidi shares a story, and this thing continues to grow throughout the day with details becoming more specific along the way. And at each new development, um, I mean, true to her personality, she, she just says, okay, God. She ends up going to the Burger Shack that night with a friend, um, kind of needed a wingman there. Um, and while she's ordering her food, her friend starts sharing the gospel with another cashier. And like the Holy Spirit moves. Our friend Heidi is a well-accomplished professional with the ear of leaders and government officials. Um, but here she's she was completely content to give the assist and get no credit for herself. She played her part in that cashier's story. But ultimately, it wasn't about her. It was about her willingness to act on what the Holy Spirit shared with her, bring a friend along, because it was the friend's role to share with that cashier. Listening for and acting on the prompting of the Holy Spirit does take time and it takes practice. And sometimes it's the mistakes more than the wins that call us to action. Several years ago, Laura and I had just finished loading up, um, loading up our hall at Costco which is another great Seattle company. Um, when a man walked up to me and asked me to use my phone to make an emergency call, um, mind you, like after two years now in Fayetteville, my trust of strangers is a lot better than it was when we lived in DC. Um, so it, it's, yeah, the guy was dressed really nice and um, he also had tears in his eyes. So clearly something was going terribly wrong. Um, I, I felt that tugging on my heart, that same tugging that you might get, um, you know, as you're, responding to an altar call week after week in uh, children's church. Um, but I, I ignored it and I let him know that I was uncomfortable with that. I started the car and we left. I told Laura how, like what I was feeling. And I felt like I was supposed to, to help that guy somehow. And so she encouraged me to stood, we'll just drive back. Like, let's go help him. So after we'd driven a block or two, we turned around and pulled back into the Costco parking lot and guess who we saw? Nobody. <laughs> The dude was gone. Um, and just like inviting Nate's ex-girlfriend to movie night, it's the regret of the miss that has helped me key into the right response each time since. I don't want to be the hero of the story because Jesus is. I don't want a testimony. I want the satisfaction of knowing that I was sensitive and obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That's all I need because that means I am playing my part in the greater whole. We all have something to add, 
This is our role in thy kingdom come. It's that we grow in awareness together, lifting one another up to grow like Christ, not like each other. So I'd like to encourage you now to gather your elements for communion. Um, and when we take communion in memory of him, we're reminded of, um, of who we're seeking to become like and the ultimate why for engaging in the process. When Jesus was with his disciples that night, he took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and said, this is my blood poured out for you. When we take the bread and the cup, we're reminded that wherever you are on your journey to becoming, this was done for you, for us. So take, eat, and drink. This is an act of worship. Another act of worship at Grace is giving our offering. When we do that, we're symbolizing that everyone has something to give. It's part of our collective uh, story. None of us is without need. So take a moment um, and go to the link and you can give online, set up a recurring gift. Um, Grace, ultimately just go out today and love one another. Listen for the Holy Spirit, find out what he's up to and be a part of it, knowing that you are not some whole, but you are called, we are called to be an active participant in the story. What story is being written around you right now? What's your role in it? Have a great week.